Our text this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 532 in the Bibles in the pews. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear For I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. If you would, please pray with me as we seek the Lord's help to understand his word. Father God, we thank you for your word, where your wisdom has been contained, where it has been written for us, that we may become wise. God, by your spirit, may you lead us this morning as we look at what wisdom is calling to us. May your spirit guide us in truth, and may we become wise like you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I have one hard and fast rule when it comes to answering phone calls. If I don't recognize the number, I don't answer. Voicemail is waiting to receive any messages that may be. And almost always, these calls that I don't answer almost never leave one. Now, my rule can get tricky at times because spam callers, you may agree, and marketers are becoming more and more clever, if not dangerous, and persistent. They call from places near my hometown using very similar numbers to friends and families whose numbers I recognize. And this is even beginning to happen here as we've moved to Little Rock with a lot of numbers that are looking very similar to yours. And let me apologize that if I have screened yours, it's because I don't recognize it yet, and I think you're a spam caller. So it's not as easy as it used to be to quickly screen a call. I may have to stare at my phone for a moment and to apply the rule in this given situation. However, there is one number on my phone that I have saved literally as do not answer. It is the number, as ashamed as I am to admit it, of my alma mater, (laughs) the place where I earned my undergraduate uh, degree. And I will spare it from using their name just in case they were to hear this sermon um, and I get indicted or something. I have nothing against my institution. The quality professors there finally taught me the principles of elementary education And many of the friendships that I form there, I still carry to this day. But the problem is, I don't have, nor do I want to give them the money they keep asking me for. You guys know the drill, most likely. 
College kids in need of a few extra dollars get paid by the school to sit at a desk and make phone calls to the alumni. And they sing the praises of the school, which I already know. They tell me all the new things that are going on, again, which I already know, thanks to newsletters and emails. And then they say those infamous words, would you like to give a gift to continue this work? Now, these callers are nice, but they are relentless. The last call that I did end up answering, one particular gentleman bartered me down to try to give a $1 donation. I applauded him for his his work, but I was like, you really don't want just $1. And so it was after that experience where I finally decided to instill this new rule of my school will now be labeled as do not answer in my phone. Now, this may sound harsh and cruel, but I figured it would save all parties involved from a lot of wasted time and energy. Now, in our text this morning, we learn that someone else is calling to us. And though it is not a student asking for money, or it's not a robot attempting to scam us out of a few dollars or some very critical information. No, the person who is calling out to us this morning is wisdom. And she is pleading with us to be heard. In fact, she's going to make her case throughout this chapter, which we're going to continue looking at in the weeks to come. But unlike those pesky phone calls, wisdom is calling out to our benefit. She calls to give us what it is that we need. The last thing that you or I should want to do is to mark her as do not answer. We need wisdom as the disciples of Jesus Christ seeking to live lives that obey him. We need it as God's image bearers wanting to bring him glory. We need it as those who are trying to walk in step with the Spirit. For this wisdom we are going to find out is from God. He is its source. He is the fountain from which all of it flows, and it is actually him who is reaching out to us. It is him who is calling to us. So wisdom is calling to us. Are we eager to listen? Again, wisdom is calling to us. Are we eager to listen? As I alluded to, we will be working through Proverbs 8 and 9 in the weeks where Tim pauses from his current study through Philippians. And most of us are familiar with the theme of Proverbs. It is shouted at the end of the prologue in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. From start to end, gaining wisdom is the goal of Proverbs. And Proverbs 1 through 9 forms this first section of seeking to impart wisdom. It is structurally different than the phrases, the sayings that we typically associate with the book of Proverbs. These chapters are actually formal speeches of a father urgently pleading with his son to choose wisdom. The father begs his son, he pleads with his son to cherish wisdom and to despise folly. And in Proverbs 8 and 9, one commentator calls it the crown of this first section. This is the father's final plea. In chapter 9, which we will look at in, in a few weeks, he will present an individual encounter with both folly and both wisdom. But here in chapter 8, the father steps back and lets wisdom speak for herself. He lets her make her case of why she should be heard. 
And then by the end of chapter 9, the son is presented with this final choice. Wisdom or folly? God or idolatry? Ultimately, life or death? And this serves as the begging question throughout the entire book of Proverbs. Which is it that you will choose? And that is where we will be going as we head towards chapter 9. But this morning, we're just going to look at wisdom's call in those first 11 verses of chapter 8. And in it, I hope that we will hear the call to listen as we see our three points, that wisdom is persistent, wisdom is pure, and wisdom is precious. Again, wisdom is persistent, wisdom is pure, and wisdom is precious. First, wisdom is persistent. This is the emphasis of those first five verses. Wisdom does not stop crying out. She doesn't take a rest. She's never silent. My unwanted calls started off with such persistence. Do not answer would pop up on my phone at least once a month. And each included a rather pleasant voicemail from a different student. They just wanted to talk about my experiences and the new and wonderful things. And then they would get to the money question. However, recently, my unwillingness to answer has resulted in fewer phone calls, if any. So I guess my persistence has won out against their persistence. But wisdom, take courage, is far more determined. She is unrelenting. We can't win her out. Listen to what she says in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does she not raise, uh, does not understanding raise her voice? The author is assuming that wisdom is speaking. It is a fact. She can't help but cry out. The nature of who she is and what she has to offer means silence is not part of her vocabulary. And unfortunately for us, in a good way, this is, this is bad news. Because we human beings, we love to make excuses. And we have no excuse for lacking in wisdom. Sure, we may be able to tune her out, but we can't plead ignorance. We can't say we didn't hear her. She wasn't loud enough. The fault is our own. She's raising her voice. If we can't hear wisdom calling to us, it is because we are like a child, hands over our ears, refusing to hear the voice of his parent. So would we open our ears to listen? Would we push aside those other voices that seek to draw us away from the wisdom that we need? But it isn't simply that wisdom is persistent in the fact that she cries. She is also persistent in where she cries, which is literally everywhere. Look at all these places in verses 2 and 3 where she positions herself. She's on the heights beside the way at the crossroads. She's shouting from the mountaintops. She can be heard along the road. She's heard where the paths collide. She speaks everywhere. Word spreads in these places. It carries from them. In verse 3, it says she's beside the gates in the front of the town. She's at the entrance of the portals. These are as public of places as you can possibly get. They're gathering places. Wisdom fears no thing. She fears no one. She boldly goes where many fear to go. Now, I'm going to test here very briefly my progressing knowledge of the Little Rock geography to help you envision the places where wisdom is presently standing and calling out. Wisdom is calling out from Pinnacle Mountain, 
I would love to point in the direction, but I'd probably point in the exact opposite place. She is sitting at the 4.30, 6.30, and 6.30.30 junctions. She's positioned on that big pedestrian bridge over the rivers. She's pleading from the steps of the Capitol. She's in the middle of the river market. She's everywhere. She's in these places that are popular, these places that are gathered. Why is she there? What is she doing? Does she need friends? Does she simply want to be heard? No, she's persistently crying out because in these places, these people need to hear what she has to offer. The countryside needs wisdom. The rural places need wisdom. The bustling metropolises need wisdom. There is not a place that can say to wisdom, we do not need you. And this is because wisdom's persistence includes who she's crying out to. She says, to you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of men. Wisdom carries a message for every single person. If you are a human being, which is safe to say every single one of you is, wisdom is for you. Both of these words, men and children of men, hearken back to Genesis 1 and 2, where we find that God created all men and women in his image. There is no person, there's no gender, there's no race, there's no ethnicity or status to whom wisdom is not crying out to. She calls to all mankind, to all who are created in the image of God. And she cries out more specifically to the simple ones, to the fools. This is a hard truth for us because it fits us perfectly. There are times when we are simple There are times when we are foolish. There's times where we're both. The simple ones are those who need guidance. We need need instruction. We need correction. Fools are those who despise wisdom. They need reproof. They hate understanding and knowledge that wisdom offers. You can pick your category if you feel so inclined, but the truth is we are all simple. We are all foolish. We need wisdom. And so because of this, wisdom is actively pursuing men and women like us. Her message is good for every person. Her message is good for every place. And this should encourage us. This is a subtle reality that certainly humbles us. We are not as wise as we think we are. We have not made it when it comes to wisdom. But on the other side, we can be assured our search for wisdom is not a wild goose chase. It is not an empty pursuit We don't need to go on some mythical or spiritual quest. She is pursuing us even as we are called to pursue her. So we can place our hope that she can and she will be found. This begs the question, where? And thankfully we know wisdom can be found in the pages of scripture. From beginning to end, we can hear wisdom's cry to us, her pleading with us. Because ultimately, this metaphor of Lady Wisdom crying out to us points us to God himself, the source of all wisdom. And in his grace, he has stooped down to us so that we might know but a glimpse of that infinite infinite wisdom we sang about earlier. And so we should eagerly take up and follow the words of instructions that that angel told St. Augustine to take up and read. The wisdom of God is right here calling to us. It is persistent. 
But it is not only that wisdom is persistent in her call. We also find that wisdom is pure. We know this as we heard from our reading in James chapter 3 earlier. Wisdom is not merely knowledge, and it is certainly not less than knowledge, but it's far more than knowledge and understanding. It has an ethical quality to it. In fact, it is wisdom morally excellent. She confesses what she stands for in verses 5 through 9. She uses words like right, truth, righteous, right again. And simultaneously, she declares to us what she is against, wickedness, twisted and crooked words. Wisdom is pure in its content. And I think I can say in confidence, those persistent telemarketers who keep calling me and calling you are far from upright in the message that they are proclaiming. They speak half-truths, they speak outright lies, hoping that one of them will hook us and reel us in to giving them what they want. We cannot and we should not take these individuals at their word. And sadly, impure content stretches beyond the realm of scam phone callers. The current state of our news, of our information, of even knowledge itself demands a level of skepticism from us. There's always a bent, there's always an angle that is informing the content that is being presented. Just think of all the fake news accusations that are being thrown around from both sides, from every side, on a daily basis. But wisdom warrants no such skepticism. Her message, compared to all the other messages, is true. The content is right. It is morally excellent. This is why she can call confidently to each and every human being to learn from her and to hear what it is she has to say. And in fact, this word here is not only to listen, it's also to obey. The purity of wisdom's message is worth following. It is worth adhering to. She boldly confesses the whole truth and nothing but the truth when she speaks to us. As she details those things that flow out of her mouth, you can almost hear the words of David in Psalm 19 when he speaks about the purity of God's word. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This should be a breath of fresh air. In our world of competing worldly wisdoms, there is one true and reliable wisdom to be found. There is a source that is constantly uttering and proclaiming the truth to us. There is a mouth that is repeatedly speaking truth. As much as our culture wants us to think, thankfully, we ourselves are not the standard of truth. Wisdom aligns herself not with us as individuals, but wholeheartedly with the God of the Bible. She hates wickedness. She hates corruption. She speaks actively against it. She does not join with it. She doesn't work with it. And so we can trust that wisdom sa- what wisdom says about all things pertaining to life are trustworthy, are true. What she brings to us is life, not death. So we should be happy, more than happy, to follow the truths that she proclaims.
because her content is true. But it's not only her content that is true, it's also her intent. What she is aiming at getting out of us is also pure. It's morally excellent. Again, looking back to to our phone friends, scammers are neither pure in their content or in the desires that they have for us. They want our money. They want something that we have, our personal information. And while I can't blame these students who keep calling me, they have ulterior motives. On the surface, they talk about catching up and getting to know me, which I believe is a half-truth for them, but they really want to get money. It is the reason why they call. But wisdom, unsurprisingly, does not operate in this way. Just as her content is pure and truthful, so are her intentions. She is not underhanded. She is not trying to swindle us. She speaks moral excellence so that those who hear her, those who obey her, will walk in moral excellence. Listen to what she says in verse 8 and 9. They, her words, are straight to him who understands. They are right to those who find knowledge. The proof of wisdom's intentions is in the lives of those who follow what she teaches. They're not wanderers. They're not simple. They're not foolish. They know the truth, and they walk in it. It is not controversial to say that the wisdom of this world that we read about in uh, James chapter 3 it doesn't care whether or not those who cling to it are morally excellent. It is a wisdom that appeals to the evil desires within us and the evil desires around us. It will only lead to stumbling and chaos. It encourages shifting from one sinful lifestyle to another. It celebrates some movements, actually. And sadly, we ourselves, even here this morning, can find ourselves doing the same. We claim boldly that this scripture contains and teaches truth. But oftentimes it's only as far as we read it. It doesn't have proof that actually leads us to walk in light of it. Simply put, wisdom's aim is to lead us in paths of righteousness. She shows us righteousness. She shows us truth so that we may walk in light of them. This is why she preaches those things to us. And so, in essence, then, pursuing wisdom, listening to wisdom, is pursuing Jesus Christ, who in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus personified wisdom, the wisdom of God. He lived that righteous life so that we, he might purchase our redemption. And it is by his new life that he has given to us that all those united to him by faith can live a life of wisdom. He is pure. The message of salvation he brings is pure. The wisdom he promises, such as the wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, is pure. So hear the pure message that wisdom preaches and then follow where she is leading. So we see that wisdom is persistent, Wisdom is pure, and lastly, in these last two verses, we see that wisdom is precious. She is of immeasurable worth. Wisdom herself says that neither silver nor gold nor jewels can top what it is that she has to offer us. She even says that trading her for any of these is a foolish decision. 
Why? Why is she able to boast such claims? Our culture would say that first get riches, and then you'll get wisdom. With the former, you might even be able to buy or at least eat more easily acquire wisdom. Wisdom kind of laughs at that and says, good luck. Wealth and riches have no correlation to her. They do not determine her value. Wisdom is precious because, first off, she offers us discipline. And yes, you did hear that right. Wisdom is precious because she offers us discipline. She says to us in verse 9, Take my instruction, take my knowledge. She offers us correction, she promises us discipline. And this is a significant part of solving our problem of being foolish and simple. The simple lack discernment, the ability to know right from wrong. The foolish simply hate it. Wisdom is the cure for the universal ailments of the human condition of simple and foolish. And as Christians, we shouldn't be shocked to hear wisdom say discipline is precious. Discipline is a treasure. The author of Hebrews says the exact same thing in chapter 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. God is treating you as sons. Discipline is precious because it is proof that God's spirit is working within us. It is an assuring sign to us that we belong to him as his dearly loved children. Are you daily being convicted of your sin? And is this conviction leading you to repentance? You should praise the Lord for that. That is his fatherly discipline working in and through you. It is a precious treasure. But the author of Hebrews doesn't simply stop that God is treating you as sons in discipline. He gives us more insight into the value of it. Later on he says, But discipline is for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He paints discipline as this personal trainer. It's working us over. It's yelling at us in our corner. It's causing us blood, sweat, and tears. But instead of trying to get us to lose a little bit of weight here or put on a little bit of muscle there, it is working us in holiness. It is seeking to mold us more and more into the image of God himself. That is precious. That is a treasure. That is why wisdom can confess that she is far more valuable than gold or silver or jewels. You and I should eagerly set our sights on this discipline that wisdom offers by taking what she gives to us. There is no price equivalent to the value of our growth in sanctification as Tim is leading us through in in, in the book of Philippians. It holds eternal value to us. But along with discipline, wisdom is precious because she also satisfies desire. Again, she makes a bold, confident claim that all that you may desire cannot compare with her. It's a pretty confident claim that all desires cannot compare with her. Because we as human beings have lots of desires. It is part of what it means to be human. And while there certainly are bad desires that we are called to mortify, to avoid, to put to death... There are also plenty of good desires that we are encouraged in Scripture to pursue without shame and without guilt. 
It's good for us to desire relationships, whether it's in marriage or in family or with friends. It's good for us to pursue and desire enjoyment, a good meal, a good wine, a good travel or vacation, laughter, relaxation, even health. But wisdom says she beats all of these things. She's, she offers better desires than all of those. They are only a handful of what she brings to us. And I even intentionally left out the in my dreams desires of like a full ride scholarship for all my present and future children. But the truth is wisdom even beats out those desires too. We find this earlier in Proverbs chapter 3, which contains that familiar trust in the Lord passage, but later in verses 16 and 18, the father lists all these desirable things that wisdom gives to us. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Is that not a pretty comprehensive list of what you and I desire? Life, prosperity, joy, peace. But these are but the tip of the iceberg of what wisdom offers to us. The desires that she satisfies go much deeper. And this is because wisdom appeals to what are or what should be the deepest desires of the people of God, which is God himself. Asaph in Psalm 30 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. It came up earlier, but this pursuit of wisdom, this call of wisdom, is the pursuit of God himself. It is the pursuit of the Father with whom wisdom rests. It is the pursuit of Jesus Christ the Son, the perfect wisdom of God in the flesh. It is the pursuit of the Holy Spirit through whom God's infinite wisdom is revealed and interpreted to us daily. Wisdom is precious because she leads us to the triune God who we were created and have been recreated in Jesus Christ to glorify and enjoy forever, as our catechism tells us. So may we treasure wisdom and pursue her with all diligence and joy. I began this morning confessing the lone contact on my do not answer list. And again, I have nothing against these individuals. They are nice. They're friendly. They're simply doing the job that they're getting paid to do. And however harsh as it sounds, they are not worth the time and the energy. I have other things to be doing than listening to what will ultimately be an unsuccessful sales pitch. I hope that you and I are never tempted this morning, though, to do the same with wisdom. I pray that just looking at these 11 verses about wisdom contained in this entire book given to the subject has given us ample reason to listen to and to pursue the wisdom of God. May it renew us as individuals, as in a church, a desire to dive deep into the waters of God's infinite wisdom contained in Scripture. There is life here. There is truth here. There is desire that is waiting to be satisfied by the Father who graciously gives wisdom to all who ask in faith. Wisdom is calling to us. Are we eager to listen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your wisdom. God, we thank you that it is persistent, that even when we are guilty of not pursuing it, 
it is still pursuing us. God, we thank you that it is pure, that in a day and age where there is little that is pure, where there is little truth that can be consumed, we know there is one source and one place we can constantly run back to. And God, we thank you that wisdom is precious. And may it be precious to us. May it lead us to pursue it, to eagerly desire it day in and day out. May your spirit help us. May he guide us in all wisdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.